Scott, brother, thank you so much for saying yes to do this. I immediately thought of you when we thought of doing an episode like this, and thank you for saying yes. Oh my goodness. I, when you asked me, you know, we love each other and we're, we're good friends and close friends. And still, when you asked me to interview you for this, I felt so touched, honestly, my heart was like, ah, and completely honored. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to be here. Well, we actually got to meet right after Diana and I had recorded the first five recordings, uh, three of which make up book one. And I remember you listening to them immediately. In fact, you were one of the first people to ever hear the recordings. And it was the fact that you connected with the recordings, coupled with the fact that you are a such a brilliant author and writer and being and friend. And so I thought, okay, this is the perfect full circle, as well as the fact that you, uh, you and Regina Meredith were our first guests on season one of Impact the World. And so, uh, yeah, all, all the reasons came together. Beautiful. And because we're bald and look alike. This is true. And we are sometimes mistaken for each other, which yeah. is quite entertaining. So it am I- It would be fun to confuse. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> are you ready? Yes. Okay. Now we're on your podcast and I trust that those watching and listening have a good sense of who you are. So I won't do a full bio, but I do want to say that one of the reasons I feel so called to your work is not just because you're a brilliant teacher and channel and musician and artist and everything you do, you do with such intention and love and beauty. That's all wonderful. But what I, what I, what excites me most about you, Lee, is just your willingness to be goofy and joyful and silly. And you bring so much seriousness to the work you do. You take it very seriously, but you bring such levity to that work. And I think that's a really rare combination to find in this world. So I just want to acknowledge that and say, I love you. Thank you for bringing lightness to the serious work of spirituality and, and this path. Mm, I love you too. And thank you. And, and, you know, humor for me is like lifeblood. Like I, I think if you can't laugh at this world and, and, and find humor in things, I, I don't know how you get through. And I come from a family where that was valued. So whenever people like us meet each other who value that, I think it's just such a joy to, I mean, it took us what, 10 minutes to stop laughing before we yeah, could exactly. turn the camera on, <laughs> be serious. So yeah. 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 Well, I would, this was going to be a later question, but since we're talking about it, um, in the book, Conversations with Disease, um, the Z's focus on laughter at one point in the book and the importance of laughter. And they they juxtapose it with um, the importance of tears and crying and how crying can be such a profound release. And would you speak to that a little? Because I think it's very easy when we're doing the work of self-growth to cry a lot and get lost in the heaviness with it. But how important is laughter and how can we integrate that more into our process? Hmm. It's interesting because there's a there's a section in the book where they go into detail about the power of laughter as a form of release and how we we need to practice joy. Hmm. And they talk about this a lot, that there are many things that they say that we we need to practice, but 
coming from a place of because they will uplift our lives, not because we need to get better at something or because we need to uh, put pressure on ourselves to improve, which I think is often the mindset in the self-growth world, or it can be. It certainly was 25 years ago when I got set on this path. Um, one thing I'm personally aware of, just stepping away from them for a second, is in my own work, there came a point when I started to use humor, particularly with live audiences, because when you're in the room with a group, there's a different kind of energy exchange that can happen versus when you're on a camera or audio. And I started to notice the, the, the levity, to use your word, that would appear in a room when you told a joke or when you were able to appropriately make light of something in a way that wasn't in any way demeaning someone's experience or uh, putting anybody down, but help people just kind of take it all less seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that shift happened around 2010. And it was a moment where I think I gave myself permission to bring that more into my work. And anyone who's been in a workshop room with me will know that we're laughing a lot more so than you can on on camera really um or or in that kind of direct to camera work but i i think for me as somebody who i used to overly value crying because i wasn't someone who cried a lot i love crying and um it would often be things like movies or something someone else might say would make me cry but I used to think, oh, I'm not releasing, but I would be laughing a lot at workshops. And, and so the Zs once explained to me that the, the two are the same frequency. You can, they're not the same action and they're not the same energy movement, but they can create the same opening and the same cathartic release. So if you think about it, when we laugh, we open and we let go of some of the tension. And that's why to me, stand-up comedians are some of the best healers out there. You know, I always loved an amazing stand-up comedy show and especially some of the brilliant ones, like I think of Margaret Cho, um, who's so shamanic in the way that she used to do her comedy work. So, so for me, I think in the spiritual world, there has often been this, I think there's been a lot of fear and it comes to me, it comes a lot from some of the organized religions that we have seen and that we've grown up around that are perhaps using rules and regulations in a uh, imposing or oppressive or fearful way versus the organized religions and the friends that I have who, who love their religion, where they're using it to enhance their life and enhance their way of loving and enhance their way of being. It's two very different sides of the same equation, I think. And so for me, the laughter, especially when it comes to self-growth, healing, it's so important and it's vital. And I love that the Z's chose to speak to that in the book and why it's so important for us. And especially in times like these, which I know it's very easy in the last few years to get overly down about yeah. everything that's going on. And, and yet we're here, we're alive, we're, we're still alive and we're still able to be in joy and we need to be in joy when we can, because that joy is, an engine it's an energy that spreads out and that's what people need to feel absolutely i was really excited when they started talking about laughter as well and i mean do you feel you mentioned it as a practice and the z's do as well do you feel like you're bringing 
Is laughter for you just a natural way that you move through the world? Or do you find yourself being intentional with it? If you, if you notice you're not laughing enough, are you doing things to invite laughter into your life? Um, I like, I like bringing laughter into a room. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm married to a brilliant man who has 10 different laughs. Like he literally has 10, like there's, it's like there's 10 people in him <laughs> and they, and I'm not even kidding. And they're all different laughs. And I love making him laugh. Um, there are certain members of my team, uh, that I love to make laugh. And so there are certain people that, that I think there are the people who are good at making people laugh. And then there are the people who are put on this planet to really show us laughter. Yeah. So, you know, the gift for me is hearing Stephen laugh or hearing Wendy on my team laugh or any of the members. And so am I intentional about it? You know, what's interesting, Scott, I was thinking this recently. I'm not consciously intentional about it because it's so woven into my being, but I have in just in recent weeks and months, I've been in some situations where I've noticed, oh, you lightened up that room mm. through laughter. And it's the easiest way to do it. It's like the quickest way to do it is to is to release the tension of the mind or the tight emotion or the fear. It, it, it is. It's kind of like a little um, it's like an adjustment, like a chiropractic adjustment. So I come from a family where humor is allowed and celebrated, like people weren't necessarily talking about their deepest feelings but they would make you laugh. So I, I come from a family where that was uh, supported. Yeah. And and I I see how it has become a, a part of my being. I think it's a very natural part of my being. And honestly, it makes me happy. Like yeah. I think it makes me happy to to kind of to kind of bring humor. So it's a joy for me too. Beautiful. You know, you talked about the the times we're living in. And I wanna, I wanna share that for me, my experience when I was listening to the recordings initially, and then when I was reading the book this, these past few days, there is a very um, specific energy that overtakes me as I'm connecting with the vibration of the Z's and it's an energy of peacefulness. As I'm connecting to their energy in their words and beyond their words, I feel like I can take a deep breath and I feel like everything's okay and everything will continue to be okay. And not from a place of denial and not from a place of bypassing because I, I really appreciate that the Z's are very straightforward with what's happening on the planet. They don't sugarcoat anything and they also don't invite us to mire ourselves in dread. They're, they reflect on what's happening and on what's possible. And so while I'm receiving that information and receiving the vibration of that, I'm feeling, I'm feeling more hopeful. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling an expansiveness. So what I, what I wanted to ask you, because I was imagining in the Z's even reflect on this in these conversations, that some people who are reading these words and in taking in the energy are having a different response. Some are likely to be provoked by some of the things that are being said. Some might get really excited. Some might get sad. Some might feel peaceful like I do. And I was hoping you could speak, speak to that. Like how, 
how are different readers receiving this energy differently? And is there an intention in creating this conversation? Is there a hope for, for how you are wanting readers and listeners to receive this information? Mm. Wow, that's great. Um, well, firstly, I loved how you articulated it, how it makes you feel, because I also feel that it's a little different for me because I'm never just a, an audience member of the Z's. You know, the, 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 my most dominant experience of them is channeling them through my body and my voice. So I have a, a, a slightly more uh, how, I don't know how I would even put it. I have a slightly more intrinsic experience of them and their vibration, but whenever I finish channeling them, I too feel expanded. It can take energy from me, especially if I, I, you know, 75 minutes, 90 minutes is kind of like the max I like to do in one go, but it also expands me and it aligns me with that wider view that they have, which is the view of the soul and the view of consciousness. As you said, they don't belittle how challenging it can be to be human. Mm -hmm. And they don't shy away from talking about the challenges that we have, but they also remind that the challenges mm -hmm. are not all there is. I think if you look at a lot of our mainstream media in the last few years, and I'm not wanting to say this about every journalist out there or every outlet, because there are many reputable journalists and reporters and, and outlets, but the, there is this very interesting negative downward tendency, mm. which is if you just stand back and look at it, you know, whether you think it's because things get manipulated to try and hurt people a certain way, or whether you think it's just, we really haven't evolved. Like if that's what we think is okay to be pumping out to our, um, all of our people, then we're really not paying attention. We're really not looking at what's going to make for a healthy life, a healthy world, healthy consciousness. So I think there is that human tendency that we tend to be conditioned into of doom, gloom, look for the worst. Um, the Z's to me make our whole life just bigger. And for those of us who understand that truth in our own way, I think those are the readers and listeners who who really like the Z's because I think all they're ever really doing is reminding us of what we already know in a bigger way. Yeah. But when you hear it put in a way that helps you overcome whatever barrier you might have mentally or emotionally, or they even invite you to gently let go of it, even if you can't today, they'll say, it's okay if you feel a bit hurt yeah. by hearing this and here's why but try and stay open to the possibility that you can move forward. I think that for me is one of the most powerful things with the Z's that I feel has actually only improved with time. This ability to speak to different, different people at different phases of their journey. So my hope is always, of course, that, you know, people benefit from it. You know, I, I don't really want to put a book out there that's going to provoke people or bother people or upset them. That's, that's so not my personal desire. Um, but one thing the Z's talk about a lot, and we just did a, a summer course called Transmissions, which is video channeling for, you know, many, many people around the world. They say, and they repeat this, that you, if you're bothered by something that we say, 
come back and listen to it or watch it again a few days later and you will not have the same experience. Mm. And I have literally been seeing people in the comments going, oh my God, when I listened to this on day one, I had this massive release of emotion and I didn't feel great about it. So I revisited it today and today I just felt like bricks came off me and it lightened me up and I suddenly feel joy. I can't explain how that works and I can't even begin to try and analyze how or why it works because I've seen this for so many years. I know it's working for the people it's working for. So I, I think that's interesting. I think these, if you like, wider truths are presented to us and sometimes we're really open to them and they're just what we need. And sometimes a little wounded part <clears throat> of us isn't quite ready to hear it. So it works on the wound a little bit. And then you hear it again a few days later and the, oh, okay, I can open, okay. And then you hear it again a third time and you're like, oh. And to me, that's how healing works. You know, you can go to one therapist and go, oh God, they were terrible and they're not my resonance. And you go to another therapist and you go, oh, well, they were the one I needed. But I would argue you needed the first one too, because it tends to be that we all have slightly zigzaggy journeys to healing and sometimes the person who we think was the, our greatest challenge actually sets us up to have a breakthrough with the next person. So I think that's kind of how it works. At least that's my perspective today. Yeah, I love that. I love that reflection. And I love the, I love the energy of the communications through them because there's a, a real generosity in terms of holding space, I feel like, for wherever someone is in receiving the information, coupled with this persistent nudging mm. like keep moving forward keep moving forward you know it's not aggressive but i feel i feel held by the energy and i also feel like nudged like hey let's let's keep working you know let's keep doing this let's keep you know let's keep expanding and you know you spoke you mentioned that you like to limit your channeling to 75 to 90 minutes because the toll it takes. And I really, I really wanted to have a conversation with you about this because I've, you and I tend to communicate most often through Marco Polo video messages with one another. And a few different times over the years, you've left me, me, me a message after a big channeling event where maybe you were doing three or four or five channeling sessions in a row. And my experience of you on the other side of those events has been that you feel really wiped out, you know, like, like you've given your all. And I understand that that can happen if we've spent five days teaching in general, but the experience I have of receiving you in that way is that it feels connected to channeling more than teaching. And I don't want to project that on you. I don't know if that's your reality, but I would love to talk about how, what kind of toll does channeling take on you for this, these conversations with this book? And when you're offering it in the world, how is it different than just showing up as Lee Harris, the human teacher? No, it's a great, great question. And you're correct. Um, I have to be willing as a human, uh, like I, there are certain times when I'm supposed to channel for something, you know, something's booked or and i i have to be ready <laughs> you know it's not it, there have been a couple of times in in over the years where i have to be steady 
and emotionally somewhat steady and available. It doesn't mean I have to be like happy or overly enthusiastic, that, but it's more that if I've got something moving through me that I haven't dealt with um, or that's quite strong for me in, in my life at that moment, it's tricky because I think there are two things that hit me it's the surrender of yourself and your energy field to the complete unknown on behalf of other people. It's one thing if I sit and channel for myself, mm -hmm. because that's a very, and I do, I, I will sit and I'll ask a question or a couple of questions and I'll type the answers. That's very clarifying for me and that helps me. But when you run it through your body like that and you don't know what's gonna happen, you don't quite know the state of the people that you're channeling for. You don't quite know what's going on in the world that day. So that's why with Conversations with Disease, Diana and I actually did more than I've done in years. We would do two 75, 80-minute conversations with disease in one day. And then we would take a day off and then we would do another day. But it does, it, the way it wipes me out is strange. Straight after it's done, I usually feel this kind of afterglow. It's like there's glitter still around you, you know, and it feels, and I always feel that satiated feeling that you get as a creator of anything when the project's completed sure. or you've delivered the thing or the people received what they needed. It's like, oh, okay, phew. And then within like two or three hours, I can be like, I can be very tired. So I just have to plan it very carefully and I have to, um, but I have to, I have to, I think I've got better as I've got older of figure energy demands of it and never doing it at my own expense. That's something that I'm very clear about. So I'm constantly renegotiating my relationship to channeling. Um, as I as I go through each year, although I've kind of I've really dove in in the last year, actually, which is surprising. But here I am. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up, because I when we first met about five years ago or so, um, we, we talked on the phone for the first time. And at that time, you were talking about channeling and you were saying that you were feeling like you were going to stop channeling in your work, kind of move away from it. And now it feels incredibly present, like one of the, the major focal points in your work. So I'm curious, like at that time, what was going on for you that you felt compelled to move away from channeling? And then why did you change your mind? And what compelled you to stay with it and continue to move forward with it in your work? Yeah, I think the nicheness of channeling has often in the past been an issue for me, meaning there are people that I can sit in with and have the nicest conversation and connection with. And if they are somebody who is a or skeptical about channeling, all of a sudden uh, you get your connection with them gets shifted. Mm. That that never felt um, and, and honestly, I was not a channeling fan. Like it, it, this happened to me, but it wasn't something I was looking for. And I know people who are like, I wish I could meet my guides. I wish I could be a channeler. I was like, oh, oh no, I had, I had. 
Um, but I can't deny the power of it. That's the thing. Like, I can't deny the power of it for myself. I can't deny the power of it for the people it works for. I feel that with everything that's gone on in the last two and a half years, particularly, channeling has helped me make sense of some of it. Of course, you still have to make sense of what's going on on human level that day right in front of your face. What's always interesting to me about my work with disease, they help me see things in a wider way that creates harmony every time. And, you know, who doesn't want more harmony? So because I know it also does that, I think I'm more willing. And the other thing is I knew there were some other things I wanted to do in the world. And unfortunately, into one thing and you let the world see you as that one thing, it can be very difficult for them to be willing to see you as something else. Yeah. So I think now, because we've got the Impact the World podcast going and because I teach a lot more energetically and I, I do the work that I do with helping people become, do, do this work. There's lots of spiritual people, healers, intuitives who want to do this work. And I'm passionate about helping people do it. And then of course, music, which I kind of returned to in a big way in the last few years. So now those things are all active. Yeah. I don't mind as much uh, having the channeling piece. So I think I, I think it was partly protective of myself yeah. and partly um, wanting to make sure that it was right for me to continue. And so I don't know if anybody listening or watching, I've had these periods in my life, like including with this work as a whole in 2016, where I thought I'm going to stop, I'm going to do something else. It's really good to have those moments because each time that's happened for me and I've seriously considered stopping, like really, truly seriously, I come back stronger. Not saying that that has to be the outcome or that that's why you should do it, but it, it almost, it, it's almost like I, I go through mini deaths of my commitment of life. And then because you let the death happen or you consider letting the death happen, new life bursts through. And I, I kind of feel, with disease that happened and then also working with Diana because the the relationship between Diana and the disease is so strong and lovely for me it gives me it gives me a different way to experience disease and it gives the audience a different way to experience disease so is a huge part of it as well because this was not a planned book but because I did those recordings with Diana the book appeared yeah Beautiful. So you went into the recordings without the intention of a book. You and Diana were just, tell us about that. How did this come to be? How did this book come to be? Yeah. So T17 and she is a psychotherapist, but she's also a very spiritually learned old soul. You know, she's very well educated on so many of the spiritual classic books and um, it's been her passion all her life. And um, we met through work and then we became friends and there was a moment in time where uh we were visiting them and we decided to do a kind of personal session with disease and uh so i was like why don't we try you know why don't we do that they'd had sessions with disease i was still doing private sessions when i first met them but it was fascinating because when we had these private conversations because of the kinds of questions diana would ask 
And because of some of the things that we were inquiring about, it was very interesting what came Hey, would you uh, consider doing a few recordings for my portal members community with me? And uh, I don't know with disease at the time, but the idea was just to have her be the facilitator, which would allow different information to come through. Sure. And I was really grateful she said yes, because she's not someone who wants to be out there in public, like really doesn't. And yet she believed in in what we were doing enough to do it. So no, we did the first five recordings. And I think after we'd done the second one, I went back to the house I was staying in when we were doing the recordings. And just literally it was like, these can be books. And I was like, mm, I wasn't planning on doing another channel book. I thought I'd done that with Energy Speaks. I thought that was my first and last channeled book. And it was very clear. And when I get those kinds of visions, I go to action. Like I, cause they're so, they're so true. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, okay, oh, that's a real one. Okay. So as we started to embark on this and as we spoke to the Z's about it by saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's over 20 books, but you're pretty much, you're pretty guaranteed. Like, oh God, you know, didn't. Who knows? We're working on book three uh, next month and book two will come out in 2023 spring and book three is slated for January 2024. So, hey, we've committed to three. Beautiful. You know, I've, I was I was fortunate to experience some of those initial conversations that didn't appear in book one. And this is coming back to when you were saying how when you're sitting with a person and you're talking about channeling, sometimes the energy shifts. And I remember speaking to you after listening to maybe conversation five and saying to you, I hope you're ready for people to think you're really weird because some <laughs> of the some of the information coming through, it was like next level mm. about the workings of the universe and the workings of the earth. And it was fantastically interesting and information that I think for some, it's a lot to take in and take on. And I, I'm bringing this up because when I was, when I was thinking about you and your relationship with channeling and how you're speaking about the many deaths that come and you get your, your commitment gets re-energized, which I think we can apply that to so many aspects of life, certainly to relationships, to, to all of our work, you know, and, and I was wondering about people out there, you know, who are, who are listening and who are, um, are viewing this, who are not comfortable sharing their gifts, who have their minds giving them the messaging that what they have to offer is weird or awkward, it will not be received, or they'll be judged for it or condemned for it, or all of these stories. Like, what can you say to these people who are who are continuing to hide themselves and not share what they feel called to share. You will be judged and you have to make peace with that. And you know, that's something I didn't fully want to embrace when I first started. And the most interesting thing about it, if you really boil it down is we judge ourselves more than anybody else judges us. So what I mean by that is I have, you know, some of my favorite people when I was younger were rebels. 
I'm I'm an inner rebel, but I was not an outer rebel. But some of my friends who were outer rebels, you know, someone would come up to them and say something and they'd just go, oh, and they just, and I, I would be like, wow, how did you just, div-? you know, I was amazed. I, I loved it. I loved their fire. I loved their fight. I loved their toughness. And, and often they were standing up for the bullied as well as themselves. And so that dynamic always intrigued me. What I learned early on with putting my work out into the world, and this might be helpful to any of the people that you're speaking about, is we cling on to the judgments that we agree with. Mm. So if somebody, if somebody, let's say, I don't really read comments online anymore. I've really changed over the last couple of years where I've stepped back from, I'll occasionally see some, but not, not as many as I used to. But if I saw somebody say something like, oh, I'll give you an example. Like I, I remember something, someone was like, so, oh, I, I've got one. Occasionally on the energy updates, people, the, the few people that I've seen criticize, their criticisms are illogical. Mm. Like if you really don't take the criticism personally, they'll say something like, He's just making all this up. What a load of nonsense. Now, they might think they're insulting me, but they're actually insulting the 250,000 views and the 600 comments of people going, oh, I so relate to this. Because mm -hmm. the energy update isn't about me. If the energy update's doing its job, it's hopefully giving other people a framework or some language or something to perhaps slightly better understand something they've got going on that day. And some people will watch the energy updates five times and some people will just have it on in the background and half listen and they'll take one thing. And so it's always interesting to me that whole game of judgment because the truth is most of us are not sitting online seeing something we don't like and going, oh, well, I'll give them my opinion about, because that's actually really sad. Like if you really think yeah. about it, what kind of reality are you living in if you think that sending word arrows at people online is going to make them better and you better? Because it's not. Yeah. So I think, first of all, you have to figure out that. You have to kind of get to the point where you know that's the truth. And secondly, if you are most afraid that you're not clever enough to do what you do, those first few comments say, well, she's not very clever at this. You're going to go, oh my God. You know, it's like your worst fear, but you know, yeah. get it out of your system and, and, and have that moment and call your friend and read, read some of the other comments that went, thank you. This really has to focus on the negative. None of us are unique in that way, yeah. but I think you have to come to a point when you're putting stuff out into the world to realize that it's, it's one thing for you, Scott, as an author to sit with a friend and read them four pages of your book. Mm -hmm. And they know you and there's a relationship and you can talk about it versus I'm putting this book out into the world and really if, if it's important to you to put something out into the world and you think it can help people, great. There will be judges. So actually one of the pieces of inner work that I think we all have to do when we do this work is, is get, I won't even say tougher, because that can be defensive. I, I mean stronger. Like you have to, you have to draw on an inner strength as, as, as to knowing why you're doing it. And because uh, it can be 
very difficult. People do project things that aren't true about you or that they've decided about you, but you know, they're watching a video. They're not, they don't know you. They're not with you in life. So I think you can't let that stop you because if you let that stop you, you will go to your grave with regret, resentment, and you'll wish you'd expressed yourself. Cause here's the, here's the good news. You're doing it for others. Yeah but you're also doing it for yourself and you, the growth journey you will go through if you're willing to just gently put your hand in the flames every now and then and get more used to the heat, yeah. it's going to grow you in ways that you can't even imagine. And the good experiences and the connections that will come from it will be gold. And that's what the Z's said to me many, many years ago, a decade ago. And they said, oh, you're going to get more known in the years to come. And I was like, Ugh. And, and they were like, but the challenges will be greatly outweighed by all of the good things. And so far, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And actually, this makes me think of um, one. I, I'd like to read a couple different passages at some point as we're talking. But this makes me think of one passage that I highlighted that I'd like to share and have you, you speak into a bit, if you're good with that. Please, that would be wonderful. All right. In conversation one, we spoke to you about the vital importance of connecting to that which makes you feel connected, purposeful, or uplifted. This is a practice. This is not a reward or something you should give yourself once a month. This should be a daily habit for you. Not because you are looking to be, shall we say, soothed, satiated, or rewarded, not at all. You do this because it builds your life force in a way that enables your life force to magnetize connective energies. If you are removed from that which makes you feel connected or purposeful on the earth, or perhaps consumed by the grislier aspects of the earth, you are not going to be able to generate frequencies of joy, light, and love. Hmm. I, I highlighted this passage for a specific reason, and I'll, I'll share that, but first I want to connect this to what you were just saying, because for me, what you're speaking to, for the people who are holding themselves back, that when we do dive in and start sharing our gifts and live in that energy, we're naturally going to be magnetizing like energies and like experiences into our lives. And that is what is ultimately going to outweigh ideally. And in my experience, it's the same. That will begin to outweigh any of the, the negativity we're experiencing in other people's energies or other people's judgments. Does that feel accurate to you? It, it does. And I think the piece that I would maybe add just for our human understanding as well is remembering that that kind of evolution is not linear. Uh, yes. I think sometimes there is this tendency to go, oh, great, I'm having a euphoric week. Yay, I'm in a high vibration. Everything's great. And we forget that the following week, the fact that we maybe contract a bit more or suddenly that issue with our mom comes up again. Yeah. And there can be this tendency in our minds, and I did it too for many years in my the beginning of my self-growth journey, of beating yourself up or thinking something's gone wrong rather than recognizing, well, this moment of my psyche is also true. Yes. And yes, perhaps it's coming from some deep trauma and that trauma is surfacing a little bit more now because I had that euphoric week where I had that such a lovely time with my friend. And then I come home and I go back into the loneliness of my family because I'm still trying to heal and let that leave my body. I'm, I'm still yeah. working on making peace. Mm -hmm. 
and letting go of wanting my family life to be different than it really was. So I, I think everything is true in, in that passage and also in what you said. And I think sometimes because we're so uh, linear and we're really asked to look at things through one lens, you know, we're not very multidimensional in the way that we've been conditioned. We forget that it, it's a zigzag and, and generally I'm with you, Scott, like I, I, I had periods in my life and years in my life where I was purging a lot of really tough stuff and it would come up and it would be deep and, ugh, you know, and it wasn't fun. But I would notice in general, a cumulative rising in yes. my vibration. And, and I think of myself today and I think, God, if I could have just shown me 10 years ago today, I'd have gone, oh, wow, that looks kind of easy compared to compared to the way I'm thinking and feeling about my life, myself, the world right now. So yeah, that that's an important piece, I think. And, and I think what they say is so true. And when I hear it, that's why I'm still channeling because I'm like, yeah, that's really well put. It's really clear. They phrase it in a way I wouldn't know to phrase it or, or, or even uh, live from that perspective in my daily life every day. But as soon as I hear it, I know it's true. I love everything you just said, and, and it's several points throughout this book, and I appreciated it every single time. I feel like the Zs were speaking to the same thing. They were highlighting examples where we as human beings want to look, we are inclined to, through our mind's lens, to look at these experiences as less than, or as they were taking steps backwards and we're not doing it right. And what you just said and what the Z's say throughout these conversations is, this is all part of the story, essentially. Can you hold space for that? And I'm working on that so much in my life and it's creating so much peace, yeah. holding space for all of it and, and continuously letting myself know this too is part of it and this and this. And um, so I love that aspect of the book. And when I was with what I just read to you, the reason I highlighted it is because what it what it kind of um, incited in me was the energy of law of attraction. Mm -hmm. When we're speaking to magnetizing connective energies, you know, based on joy and on purpose. And, you know, we I've told you I'm a big fan of Abraham Hicks and I love the way they speak about law of attraction. And I was just wondering it, how do the Z's approach law of attraction? Do they ever talk about it? And what do they say about it? And is that an energy that they, they work with? I was so happy. I think it was maybe 18 months ago, you told me that you'd suddenly got really into Abraham Hicks, uh, or maybe it was two years ago. And, um, and I was thrilled. I, I really admire Esther. I saw her live in 2008. I was at that time I'd, I'd been channeling at that point for like six, seven years. And honestly, Abraham was the closest vibration um, that I, it, it was the closest to the Z's for me. Yeah. Um, and I think me she's too. a brilliant channeler, brilliant. Um, I haven't seen her since 2008 live, but um, I really appreciate the work that she, she and Abraham have done and Jerry too, and, and their team. So they've never, now I could be wrong here. I wish Marty was here because Marty, Marty is a team member and friend who's been with me for 11 years and she was listening to the Z's for a few years before that. And she's my archivist because I'll say, Marty, did the Z's ever talk about this? And she'll remember, I won't. 
I don't think they've ever talked about the law of attraction. And to be honest, I think Esther has got that so wrapped up. Um, they probably don't need to. I don't, I don't remember hearing them use that term, but the principles, yes, the principles are, are kind of woven through. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to also, there's another passage I want to read, and I want to talk some about multi-dimensional, dimension, oh my God, dimensionality. Yeah. <laughs> because it comes up a lot in these conversations and it can be, it can be a big idea to hold. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to, to maybe simplify it for us and, and walk us through it. And I'm going to use these as prompts for you because I also really liked these passages. Um, these are tumultuous times on earth, yes, but they are tumultuous on the lower dimensions. The higher dimensions are coming in higher than ever, and it is going to be your path to connect with them more than you ever have before. And then, in the case of most of you reading this, you will become a powerful conduit for those energies on earth. Third dimensional earth is becoming less and less than normal reality, and the higher dimensions are beginning to permeate. So that's the first, and I wanna just add another. Creating a multi-dimensional life for yourself, and that can be both an example and a benefactor to others, is the crucial next step. And that is a step that most of you, at this point, are taking great strides forward with. So a couple questions. One is, how do we create a multi-dimensional multi life for ourselves? And then also, as I was reading this and feeling it, I feel really emboldened knowing that the higher dimensions are coming in in a bigger way like that for me, even though I don't feel like I'm necessarily tapped into them or feeling them in a conscious way, I trust that they're there. Like there's a sense that, yes, this makes sense to me intuitively. I get this. Um, and I'd like you to just, just speak to it. What does it mean that that the third dimension is kind of falling away and higher dimensions are coming in. And how do we live into that in a more powerful way? And how does it serve us to live into that in a more powerful way? I've seen a lot of people tackling this uh, over the last few years. You know, the fifth dimension means this, the ninth dimension means this. And I'm always a little, a little more amorphous than that, because to me, those dimensions are to themselves endless. And what the Z's have taught me more than anything is the more you know, the less you know, because the more you start to see beyond the veil, the more that you realize the, the veil beyond the veil is the universe and it's vast. And what we can conceive of it is, you know, kind of quite small. I'm not saying there aren't people who could conceive of way more than I could, or perhaps you could, or, but, but so for me, multidimensionality, let's start there. There are two ways I look at that, two ways that I think for me define what that means. So if, well, first of all, we, we are all multidimensional. So I think this relates more to our conditioned thinking than our actuality. Hmm. So for example, you, Scott, have, let's say 12 roles to the people that know you. Hmm. You're a brother, you're a son, you're a friend, you're a lover, 
you're a partner, you're an author, you're a breathwork practitioner, you're the person that I laugh with, you're the person that I cry with. So there are all of these different yous that make up you and probably not one single human being will ever see all of them. The only one who'll ever know all of them is you because you'll be there every time. But even the best friend, most close human in the whole world is not going to bring out every single aspect of you that your life will reveal as you engage with the world and other people. There will be that person in the cab one day that you have the most profound conversation with and you never see him again and you never have that kind of conversation with anyone again because it was a chemical reaction between the two of you yeah. and the timing and what was going on in the world that day. So we tend to be told, oh, you're a mother. Oh, you're a nurse. Oh, you're a... No, you're not. You know, you, you might be that for... You know, I'm not a channeler unless I'm actually channeling right. or unless someone goes, oh, Lee, look that book's got your name on it. And I go, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's my name at the top, which is always interesting. I'm like, oh yeah, my name is at the top. How interesting. Um, so we're multidimensional anyway, if you really think about how many different ways that we move through life, how different people see us differently. So that's who we are in the outside world. And you could look at it as your work. You might say, well, I'm becoming more multidimensional in my work because I used to be a yoga teacher and now I'm really surprised, but I'm going to accountancy school and I would never have thought I would want to be an accountant, but oh my God, that's a, a part of my multidimensional self is blooming. But the bigger piece for me is multidimensional consciousness. Mm -hmm. Can we hold space in the way that we see and feel and think about the world in a multidimensional way? I know I can't do it all the time. I have I have periods where I really can and I think I'm more multidimensional in my consciousness than I've ever been in my life. Mm. But I'll still hit my moments that are either old parts of me or limited parts of me where I will go, oh, black, white, right, wrong, yes, no. And the truth is those are connected. So as much as I don't want to bring politics into it, because that's that's certainly a way to lower the vibrational consciousness right now, because we do have a very low consciousness in politics disease, talk about it. And we need, you know, that needs to shift, obviously. But it's it's that it's that somewhat it's um it's like Republican Democrat. It's that battle, it's that it's that good, bad, mm -hmm. it, it, it's such a war, one dimensional mentality. And I'm not saying you can't be more aligned with Republican policy and more aligned with Democratic, of course you can, mm -hmm. but you can also be human to the opposite party. You can also have some level of empathy or understanding as to why someone disagrees with you. You may have a boundary about the way it's okay for them to talk to you about that. You might say, you don't have to scream and shout at me. That's that's not actually, that's not the way to get your point across. And that's actually quite hurtful to me. Are you able to get your point across without attacking mine? Yeah. So we're in this very interesting time in society where multidimensional consciousness, which involves empathy and involves being able to see the wider picture is asking us to come out of 
you know, thousands and thousands of years of conditioning around these fixed boxes that we have been very much put into and that we're now being offered an opportunity to step out of. And it could take a good couple of hundred years for us to be able to look at this and go, wow, that was a huge consciousness leap in humanity over that 200 years. But we are in it now. And it is, it is why these times can feel so confrontational on a stomach gut level, because there's a lot of stomach, uh, lower chakra energy flying around in a way that we used to have a bit more of a lid on it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the higher consciousness experiences that people are having are undeniable. So it's, it's a chaotic mix at the moment, that road to a more multidimensional way of being and a more multidimensional consciousness. So for me, the way I look at it is the outer world. How are we multidimensional in the outer world? How are we viewed that way? How do we act in multidimensional ways in our life? And then this consciousness, how do we see the world? How do we hold space for all the truths? Even if we're mostly aligned with one part of that truth or yeah. one area of that line, yeah. are we going to try and kill the person at the other end of the line because we don't agree with their truth? Or are we going to be more multidimensional than that old 3D consciousness that's a war mentality of like, well, if it if it doesn't represent me, I must stamp it out, you know? Absolutely. No, that's beautifully expressed. And as you're speaking, what what the word that keeps flashing through my mind is love. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's what you're speaking to, but that's what I'm receiving. It's like when we're acting with love as our base note and guiding force, we're automatically um, inspired to be a more multidimensional and to to work with higher consciousness. Does that it how does, does love play in this? Well, I, lo I love that you bring that in. And I guess for me, and I don't know if if people listening or watching resonate with this, too. I had a, I have a really good friend who I love very much. And she and I had a, a really tough moment in our friendship, um, in 2015 and some very hurtful things were said, and it was really upsetting because, you know, this friend and I were like family and it was like, it was, it was a strange series of life events that were going on for both of us that led to this clash. And for me, what it did was it triggered a whole bunch of family healing. Like, you know, when I was able to kind of step back from it and from the trigger event, I was able to see and unpick, oh, yeah, there's a multidimensional healing going on here that reminds me of that thing with my mom and that thing with my friend and that the way I reacted when I was eight to a, a wounding incident, you know, and the brilliance of it was, it was very difficult and very edgy. And I experienced a doubling down from my friend on what they thought was right and why I was so wrong, even after I had apologized mm -hmm. several times. And she did a brilliant thing for me. I basically said, I need some space. I can't I can't, you know, I can't, I, I didn't know how to navigate this situation. And I just said, I can't, I can't, it breaks my heart, but I, I have to back away right now. And at that moment, she said, please, please, can we FaceTime? And she was brilliant because she got on the call and she said, Lee, I'm so sorry. I left my heart. Mm. Wow. 
And that line has been imprinted in my mind ever since then, because in that moment, my defense, my, I've got to protect myself. I, it also melted and I was able to go, you know, and she apologized to me and I apologized to her and we both went back over. How did this, how did we get there? And, you know, it's great. And I actually just spent a beautiful weekend with her a couple of week, weekends ago and was just so grateful for that. But the teaching she gave me, perhaps unknowingly, was she left her heart. Yeah. So I now know when that happens to me because I can feel it. I'm like, oh, is my heart involved in my reaction right now? Yeah. Or have I gone into a trigger? Oh, I'm in a trigger wound. Oh, okay. Because my heart's not open. I can feel, because I can feel the difference. Yes. So, so I, 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 it's funny that comes to me when you talk about love. And, and to me, I can feel when my heart's open and I can feel when it's contracted or when I'm not allowing it to be in my energy field as much as I'm allowing my opinions or my wounded emotion that has risen to the surface for something. So I, I think it is about love and I think it's about whether or not we can be in our heart, even if we're having to lay a boundary to something in our life or someone in our life or for a period of time, you, you know, you need to step away. Are you stepping away angry and resentful at them? Or are you stepping away going, I don't quite know how to deal with this right now, but my, my heart's here. I love them, but I can't talk. I need to figure, I need to figure out what's going on in me so I can come back whole rather than stay in this fight or this war where we're just flinging wounds back and forth. So I, I don't even know if I've answered. <laughs> I'm, I'm, thrilled. Anyway, that, yeah, I'm thrilled you shared that story. That's such a beautiful story. And I, you know, I really believe that we all know when we leave our hearts. It just takes the courage to not only acknowledge that that's what's happening, but also to come back to our heart as soon as we're able and move forward in alignment with love. So I love that story. It was a beautiful example of what we're talking about. Thank Huge you. moment for me that seven years later still remains one of the most important. I mean, there's been many teachings and teachers, but one of the most important teachings of my life that was. Yeah. I feel like it's with me now. I love that. I left my heart. <laughs> It's or I've, really I've returned to my heart. You know, I'm back in my heart. It's, it's really it. useful. It's a great little guide. It's like a, you know, I do, I do little energy checks on myself when I, when I feel like I'm off or if I like, you know, this is the great thing about being married. Cause you know, when you're married, you always, you see each other in all your states. So I'll notice how Steven reacts to something I'll say, and I'll go, Oh, Oh, I'm a bit wired right now. <laughs> You know, or like he walks into the room and I'm like, you know, in the middle of a, a work frenzy and I'll see the way he looks and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. You know, you, you know how you, so I'll do those yeah. little checks every now and then based on either what I notice in myself is imbalanced or in the information I get. From yeah. Or his expression, like <laughs> he knows me now. He knows when I go on one of those, one of those, uh, yeah. One of those, uh, supercharged, uh, work moments. Okay. I know we've been talking for a while and there's still a few things I want to get to. Do we, how are we on time? I have no idea, but I think, I think, I think you're good to get through a few things. Okay. We'll just turn They're, off. They, People okay. will just go and do something. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go to black. They'll just open <laughs> Netflix. It's fine. <laughs> We're enjoying ourselves. Why don't we stay? Exactly. Well, this is, I, I really, I want to read another passage because this has come up so much in conversations I've had with myself and in conversations I've had with others. So I feel the energy of what the Z's were speaking to here is big, and I'd like you to speak into it a bit more. 
As soon as you realize and admit to yourself that you're unhappy to be incarnate on earth, but also recognize that there is so much more to your life than just that part of you, then your soul energy goes to another level. And you are able to reclaim life force for yourself. And you are able to slowly but surely use the flame and the fire of healing to transmute that part of you that is unsettled about being on the earth. And you do that through finding the joys and connection points that make you happy and grateful you are on the earth. That is the work. So this passage really hit in part because of my own personal experience with my, oh, why am I here? Will my planet come and get me? And then also tuning into your audience. I know that I, I would bet there are thousands and thousands of people who follow you who can resonate with the experience of feeling like, I know I chose to incarnate here, but my goodness, why? And I wish I hadn't. And we're, there's, there's a struggle with yeah. being here in this body, in this reality, in this time period. And I love, I love how the Z's spoke to it in this passage. And I would love for you to expand on it more if you, if mm. you, if you will. Totally. I've had two times mm. in my life when I was 17 and when I was 33, when I deeply, like deeply didn't want to be here because I couldn't handle the pain I was feeling. And I don't mean physical pain. Um, I couldn't handle the pain or the darkness that I, that I felt shrouded in at the time. And, uh, when I was 33, it was just a series of events. And when I was 17, it was, uh, coming to terms with sexuality, knowing that I was different spiritually feeling, you know, my, even though I came from a loving and supportive family, my childhood wasn't an easy one because of the way I was wired basically. So. Um, you know, I was shocked how many people don't want to be here or will, will say I'm on the wrong planet. And I'm not talking about people who are perhaps seriously considering ending their life. It hasn't necessarily gone that far, but it's like a, a repetitive feeling of I'm, I'm on the wrong planet and man, the Z's just. <laughs> Like you line that ball up for them and they will hit that home run every time. And they're, and they're, what I love about them is that they're really like, uh, cause they're way more pushy than I would be. And they will be very pushy about that one in a brilliant way, in a way that kind of busts some of your story because they will say over and over again, they'll say, it's very easy to die. None of you realize how easy it is to die and to leave this planet. And if you are still incarnate right now, there are reasons that you have not yet found or engaged with. Mm. And I think that's always a very interesting one because I look back on the times when I felt more shrouded in darkness and I did not have the uh, capacity I have now to be open in the world and to have, you know, to have connected to the things I needed to connect to, to be able to feel good about life and have enough moments each week where I can see the wonder or the gratitude or, but that wasn't my story. Uh, you know, go back 20 years, that was hard for me to find that. So I'm not saying that, uh, it's all love and roses, but if it's, if, if there is a real absence of that, then it's really important to make your priority 
finding more of that yeah. and to start realistically. But I think where I identify with the audience in that is I, like many people, spirituality was the first place I felt safe in the world. And I discovered spirituality and self-growth in my late teens. So I, like many, had real trouble in my body and had real trouble on the ground. And it's so funny, Colette Baron-Reed, who is a, is a well-known um, author and um, oracle card creator and, and intuitive, um, she and I met, um, I think, about a year ago or a bit less. And we, uh, we did a shared reading for each other. We did like a reading exchange, which was fun. And she said to me, she said, oh, you grounded in spirit way before you grounded on the earth. She said, you were grounded in spirit as a child. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But of course, I had nobody telling me how to find spirit when I was mm -hmm. a child. So I just felt like I was, all the lights had gone out unless I was creating. Because in creativity, I found spirit. Yes. So um, I think many of us have, who are wired either in a sensitive way or wired to be open to or aligned with spirit when we first come in, you come to this planet and you're a bit like, what the hell's going on down here? This is not what I was expecting. You know, this is way heavier. But if you, if you can attend to whatever healing you need to attend to, to get you back into your body, your body will be your ally. And normally what's happened is we feel safe out in the ethers, but we do not feel safe in our body or on the ground. So there is there is a process that most of us go through, which is we heal enough by connecting to spirit that we start to heal our bodies and our inner traumas. And we start to feel safe to come back to our bodies and to bring the spirit down into and through the body and let that be part of the vessel of what we're doing every day. But it, it takes a little bit of time and enough space in here for you to feel safe enough to start that process. And it is a process. It takes time. It's not something you do in a year or two years. It's like an ongoing, uh, it's almost like rebirthing your grounded body, um, mm -hmm. letting your grounded body trust that it is safe to be here in steps and stages. So I love that paragraph too, because it, it, it is interestingly, um, a, a big theme in, 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 Huge. people who who connect to this kind of work and i think part of our job is to as much as we can be here to seed a bit more of the energy that we think is normal on the planet leaving it for the generations behind us um or you know in the case of me i think of the scared lonely teenager that i was that at 17 didn't know if he could carry on or be here anymore and uh I think, okay, well, let's just keep putting examples and messages and bottles out there for people. And gradually that permeates and then they grow. And I see that with this generation now, they're growing up with, sure, certain challenges that this time give them that we didn't have to face, but they're growing up with a hell of a lot more emotional openness and emotional intelligence and awareness and awareness of healing and psychology and trauma. I mean, it, on that level, it's it's unbelievable compared to what I was growing up in 30 years ago. Absolutely. You know, I want to, I also want to acknowledge one of the things that I really appreciated about these conversations is that it would have been very easy for this book, this dialogue to just be an information download, but it is also, um, there are so many moments throughout where the Z's are offering simple tools, simple practices 
that you can apply to your life. And for me, those are the most helpful books in this realm, not just the ones that are telling us how, how things need to be or giving us different perspectives on how to look at things, but also saying, hey, do this for three minutes, mm -hmm. three times a day, and you're going to see your life change, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, there are a lot of takeaways in these conversations as well that we as readers or listeners can can apply to our own lives and actually benefit not only from the wisdom but from seeing in our real life with practice the shifts that we can create for our own realities you know so i wanted to just mention that i love that that's great to hear thank you for saying that yeah is there um is there anything in this in these conversations that surprised you is there was was there anything you hadn't heard before yeah <laughs> Right. Yeah. Sounds like a there lot. Was, there was a there was a bunch of stuff, and I think it, it's interesting. You know, we we initially presented the first four conversations to New World Library, the publisher, and the decision was made to keep book one to just the first three. Interestingly, book two is possibly going to be almost double the length. Um, so we just went with that because we we understood the decision. But I would say. Um, particularly in conversations four and five, which will show up in book two, they talk a lot about the history of our conditioning on earth. And that stuff was very interesting to me. You know, going back thousands and thousands of years, how essentially our souls uh, were clamped to some degree. And we are now in that period of history where the clamp is coming off. And so they go a little bit into, it's not even galactic history necessarily, but some truths about our Earth's place in the universe and consciousness. And I'm always struck by those kinds of comments because they aren't the kinds of things I go looking for. That you know, it's never been my field of interest, even though I know there are many people who talk about that. And uh, so those are the things that often surprise me. And then. They also are quite disclosing of certain personal things to do with my relationship with them that are all like news to me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I forget them. And then I remember them when I have to edit the book and then I probably forget them again. So, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things are always insightful. Yeah. Do you always go back? Cause I know when you're channeling, you're not, you're not taking everything in because you are a channel. Do you do you listen to? Mm -hmm. all, you don't. No, I don't like it. I am. Um, I particularly don't like reading it, so that makes editing a pain. Like I, <laughs> I'm really happy the books are out there, but I I really don't enjoy the editing of the book. Um, there's something intense about it for me energetically, um, but I have to do it because what happens is when you because they're taken from conversations, and you know this, Scott the written word does not necessarily convey tone in the same way. And so as I'm going through the edits, I will literally, I will come to a sentence where I'm like, that doesn't quite make sense on the page in the way that it did with the tone. And at that moment, I'll kind of reweave the sentence with disease. Okay. So, um, but no, I don't like listening back. I'm very happy to do it. Um, no, I just don't. You know, I, my joke is maybe when I'm in the nursing home, I'll listen back to some of this stuff. But I hope if I'm in the nursing home, I'm actually just enjoying the trees and the birds. <laughs> yeah, you know? playing chess. I hope I'm not interested <laughs> in going back and listening. So no, I, I don't like listening back, no. Okay, all right. But I will say this, I will say this. Couple of times I've been played short sections and I'm 
pleasantly surprised because when I listen, what strikes me as somebody who is using language for my work all the time, and I'm someone who has an affinity with language, um, I'm always struck by their language, like because it's not the way I would form a sentence. Mm. And I'm often struck by the power of their sentences and their words. And people have played me short sections or like when you read it, I'm always like, oh, that's quite good. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> but it yeah. doesn't feel I, I, I in no, it, I, I feel a bit like a, a slightly intrigued observer of it. I don't, when I'm hearing it back, it no longer feels like it's anything to do with my body, but when I'm doing it, it's very much to do with my body. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I will say, you know, I, I, it can be tricky for me to respond to the energy of certain channelers, you know, because there's a, a specific presence that comes through when people channel. And for me, like you, you and Esther are really the two that for me come through most cleanly and least annoyingly, you know, like I don't, I don't, and I don't say that, I don't mean to sound judgmental when I say that it's really just, there can be some kind of interesting ticks that come through in channeling sometimes that makes it hard for me to stay focused on the message. And so I feel like when you're channeling disease, it just feels so clean. It's just coming through. And also I love when, when you say, ha, <laughs> like it's, it's such a, it's such a joy. And I love the way they speak to the ha as resonating with the heart energy, which I never connected to, but every Neither time it happens, I. I'm overjoyed. Neither did I. And I don't know if this is in book one or book two, I can't remember, but they explained something that blew my mind, which was because they've been using half for years. So I always just thought it was like a greeting or a, yeah, they yeah. said it's the beginning of yeah. a light language word. That's in this book. Oh, it is in this book. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and and I found that interesting. And I think they implied I wasn't ready to let that light language through yet. So that was interesting to me, or or that or that I would in the future. I can't even remember what they said, but I was like, oh, okay, watch this space. So yeah. All right, cool. So we'll wind up. Um, I I do feel like I need to ask you before I get to the very last question. The subtitle is the energetics of the new human soul. What does that who mean? Who we're becoming. So that was given to me by them. And it really is. And in a way, you know, the subtitle for book two is uh, embracing your multidimensionality. Um, but honestly, book two could have been called the energetics of the new human soul part two, because that was the arc. They, they said, we want to talk to you about who you're all becoming and, and who you're becoming right now and who you're becoming in future decades as the new human souls on earth, like a, a new version of the soul expression on earth, a new, a new human in a way. So um, yeah, that's where the title came from. Beautiful. And then is there anything that we haven't covered that either you or the Z's feel compelled to share before we close out this conversation? No, I, I, uh... I guess the only thing I will say is we could have left the conversations in audio form because even and, and actually the audio book, I opted to um, use the original recordings. So if you listen to the audio book, you will hear Diana and you will hear the Z's. You won't hear me narrating the Z's. When we did Energy Speaks, I had to go back and narrate the audio book. 
Um, and I found when I was in the vocal booth, it was kind of like a hybridization. It, it was me, but I could feel disease there kind of influencing the way I narrated that book. And for this one, I really wanted people to have the, the real in the room as it was happening experience. But the reason the book felt important is there is a quietness that we have when we read. Mm -hmm. There is a very internal space that happens. And it's not that that doesn't happen when we listen, but I, I it, it takes a lot. People would be shocked how much effort it is to create a book uh, from, from audio. You'd think it's easy, but it, it, it's quite it's quite a lot of work. But it was worth it because I knew that we needed some kind of manuscript and that we needed something that could be in word form because the vibration of it would 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 give it to people differently. So I just want to say thank you to New World Library, the publisher, and um, my team, Marty, Anna, who have worked on the book with myself and Diana. And of course, big shout out to Diana, who, um, Absolutely. who yeah, who partnered with me in this. And it's it's been great. And yeah, we'll be, uh, the day that this book comes out, we'll be recording for book three, which is kind of sweet. So beautiful. Yeah. I want to just acknowledge Diana too. She did such a beautiful job asking questions, holding space, being a really present conduit for, for all of us yeah. to receive this information. And, and lastly, I just want to say again, you know, the, the experience of the audio versus reading in this was quite different for me. They're both very powerful in that peaceful energy that I was expressing in the beginning that I feel came through in both. But what surprised me is it came through more intensely as I was reading these past few days. And that, that was really surprising to really feel the vibrational energy of not just the words, but the Z's coming off the page into my body in a really beautiful way. So I'm thrilled that you have stayed with channeling and I'm thrilled that you and Diana had these conversations and felt compelled uh, to turn these into, into the books um, that they are becoming and are. So thank you, thank you, thank you, brother, for the work that you're doing. It's, uh, it's changing lives, it's opening hearts, opening minds, and just helping us move forward to the new human form. Is that what this is? The <laughs> new human soul. New yeah. human soul. But yeah, oh, thank, thank you. you, Scott. And, and you know, I, I do feel genuinely very, very, uh, very, very privileged to be able to do this, even, even if occasionally you don't necessarily want to be that freaky channeler at the party. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I have enough other strings to my bow that yeah. I, can, I can wheel those ones out, you know, depending yeah. on who I'm talking to, I'm like, oh yeah, I do music. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I and I just want to say thank you to you for a being there at the the the, the moment that these were happening, um, and you heard them before even our portal members did, and for your support and thank you for doing this today. It's been it's been really really lovely for me to do, and uh, and really um, because it's us and because it's you, um, you asked me some brilliant questions, and and I, and I I know because of the combination of us, something else happened. So thank you, brother. Beautiful. Absolutely. All right. Much love. Much love. My new book, Conversations with Disease, is now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere you can get your books. Available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook.